good to see you all here this morning. It was so fun to be a part of investing in your children this last week, or many of your children. It was definitely a, a high-impact week and seeing a lot of lives impacted for the, the kingdom. And uh, as our, uh, our Italian Sherpa mentioned this morning, Mario, uh, that, that the, the theme for the week, we took each day and focused on a different power of God, a different uh, part of his characteristic or, or part of who he was and, and is. And this, this week it was really broken down into five parts, and you probably caught that talking about he has the power to provide, comfort, heal, forgive, and then love us forever were the, the five different ones. And it was fun. I was hearing one leader was telling me the story about talking to a little girl and was asking her about her week and hearing how it was going. And, the, uh, the, and she actually asked the, the little girl, hey, can you remember, it was on day four, can you remember what the first three powers of God that we saw this week were? And the little girl remembered them perfectly. She's like, God has the, has the power to provide. God has the, the power to comfort. God has the power to heal, and, and, uh, and Stephanie was like, oh, great, great job. You did a great job remembering those, and she's like, today we're going to cover one, or God's fourth power, and the little girl looks up at her and goes, God has four powers? Like, like a superhero, like, this is so awesome. Are you kidding me? He has four powers? Even we went on to a fifth, and another parent was telling me this week about their son that was uh, picking on his two sisters. And uh, was getting in some trouble, and he had to remind his parents that God has the power to forgive. It's a really important lesson. So we were really equipping our, our kids to, uh, to better figure out how to uh, manage that. Hopefully you've already been blessed this morning. I was looking around when their kids were singing. I'm pretty sure there wasn't somebody in this entire room that wasn't smiling. I think everyone was encouraging to see those little voices praising our God. And so it was a great week. I had a, a privilege of uh, teaching three of the different uh, days on different stories from, from God's Word. And most of, or some of them are from the Old Testament. One that I hadn't spent much time in for quite a while was the story of Naaman the leper. You guys remember this story from the Old Testament? And I, I was like, man, as I was unpacking that, I was like, man, what a perfect picture. First off, it's a picture of all five, I'm going to present this morning, of those different attributes or characteristics of God, but it's also a beautiful picture of the gospel. I would say this morning that each one of us could learn one of those aspects. I mean, I don't know if you're in here and you're thinking, uh, I don't know how you could go through this list and miss one, but you're like, yeah, I could, I could stand to know a little bit more true that God has the power to provide. Maybe that's where you're showing up this morning. Maybe I could stand to hear that God has the, the God of comfort. Some of us could use his comfort this morning. Healing. You know, a lot of us deal with somebody that we know and love that could use healing. Knowing that he's the God who forgives, that he's the God. Some of us just needs to hear this this morning. If we have Jesus Christ, that he's the God that loves us forever. That's never changing. I'd propose that even these children's lessons this morning, maybe us as adults might get some, something from it as well. Let me pray as we dive in. God, we thank you so much for this chance to be in your word this morning, to be exposed to this character that really reveals so many aspects of your greatness, being the provider, the healer, the forgiver, the one who loves, the one who cares and comforts. 
God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, that you'd meet us exactly where we're at, the way that only you can do, Holy Spirit recognizing where we're at and what we're struggling with. We ask that you'd speak to us through this text, that you'd bring it to life, that I would be small and you would be great. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to uh, be in 2 Kings this morning, chapter 5. It's so much easier to be in this story if we're looking at it together. So if you don't mind turning there with me, if you don't have a Bible with you, the nice thing is, is we have one in the chair in front of you. And here's the second thing. If you don't own a Bible, you can have one from the chair in front of you. So we'll turn to 2 Kings 5. And uh, this first verse gives us a little background. I'll explain it in a moment. It says this, Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, the king, and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. But he was a leper. Let me give a little bit of background on this story. This actually occurred 850 years before Christ. So this is quite a while ago, pushing the 3,000, almost getting closer to 3,000 years ago. This was taking place in Syria, was the primary, at that time, was the the superpower of the world. It wasn't Israel. Syria had the most powerful military and the most powerful king at that time. We see here who they're describing this man named Naaman, and what does it say that who he was? He was the commander of the military that had brought them incredible success. Commander, so imagine a pretty dominant person. If you're thinking of this guy, it's probably a a pretty man's man. For some reason, I had this picture in my mind of the commercials, uh, the world's most interesting man. For some reason, I have this picture of Naaman, like uh, maybe maybe not. But, uh, but if they had those commercials then, I, I, I imagine he would have been a, a high candidate for that. We can take that down. Uh, a high, ca- <laughs> high candidate for that, probably achieving success like most would only dream of. You're the head of the military, the most powerful. You're well-respected. You're feared by people. You're respected by people. It says he was a mighty man of valor, You think about that for a second, but here, even at the top of his game, if you will, says one important last statement there, says, but he was a leper, but he was a leper. See, everything can be going great in your life, but if your health is gone, you're reminded of who's in control, who's reigning over all of this. You see that same idea pointed out to uh, what it says there because it says, because by him the Lord had given victory over Syria. It was a little reminder of who's on the throne and who's providing successes. But what do, what do we know about the disease of, of, of leprosy? We've since discovered a cure. I found it interesting that the cure has ended up being chemotherapy is the solution for it today. But leper in that time was the most miserable of diseases. There was no cure and no hope of survival. It started in somebody's blood first. A lot of times lying dormant, somebody wouldn't know that they had it. And then gradually it would usually start to show with little patches on your skin. That would escalate typically on somebody's face. Here's a a picture now of somebody with leprosy on their face. Pretty powerful, huh? 
That's the kind of image you don't want to close your eyes and see later. We can take that off. But the idea here is this. It was a, basically, it was a death sentence. The way that it worked is those boils ended up losing, actually feeling in your your arms, your hands, and actually you'd literally have fingers and toes fall off. Somebody would die one inch at a time, and there was no solution. Getting word of having that disease, I mean, as terrible as cancer is, uh, we're not absent of, of hope with cancer. In that day and age, if you had leprosy, it was it. That was it. There, there wasn't a survival rate. It was the beginning of the end. You were a dead man walking. They treated the person with leprosy. They kept them on the outskirts of the city. And when someone approached, do you guys know what they had to say? They had to scream, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. Throughout the Old Testament, leprosy is a picture. We see it specifically in Leviticus 13. It's a picture of the same parallel because that's what the Old Testament does is points to sin and our need for a Savior. It's really a picture, ultimately, of sin. If you think about that, if you think about the different parallels, it defiles, it goes deep, it's contagious, it isolates, and ultimately, there's really no human cure So here, we're going to see as this story unfolds, it's really ultimately a picture of the gospel story and our position, apart from Christ, being in a desperate state. Naaman, no matter all his accolades, all the things he succeeded, the toughest guy around, he was having to deal with his own mortality. He had to figure out, what do I do with this disease? But he's about to discover, as we look at verse 2, He's about to encounter the living God and discover that God, first off, we're going to see, has the power to provide in sometimes some strange ways. Look in verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, the, the mom, would that, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, the king, said, Thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. See, it's often in this place of desperation that when we're at the end of our ropes, that's often where God finally has a chance to step in and provide. I imagine He had already had to realize, I can't fix this. I can't solve this. There's nothing I can do to remedy my problem. Think of how many people's testimonies, that's their story. Think of the people that you know. They had to come to the the end of their rope, recognize, I can't do this. I can't can't fix me. I can't solve this sin thing. I can't can't solve whatever it is. You fill in the blank. We all, it might even be your own testimony. You had to come to the end of your rope to discover that we have a God who provides. I think it's fascinating, though, in this story, to see how God actually chose to provide. Look in, look in this account. How he chooses to provide was through a little servant girl. I think that's fitting for us this morning as we're celebrating our kids. God chooses. There, there's nobody that's too old or too young that God can't use them mightily. God chooses to provide in this servant girl. And what I think is fascinating with that is that this, the, the sympathy that this little slave girl has for her master. Stop and think about what the story, we sometimes just breeze past that. Think what happened in this story. What does it say, what happened to her? 
She was taken on a raid by the the military, most likely taken from everything she knew, from her land, from her parents, from all that she had known, and she's taken to be a slave in some random guy in the military's household, and the guy has leprosy. You imagine, uh, sometimes I I try to place myself in these stories, and I think, man, I'm taken from my family, I'm taken from everything I know, and I'm like, I hope he does get leprosy, right? You see? But this little girl had a heart to forgive. You can see the compassion. She's just like, man, I just wish my master had a chance to go and get healed from this prophet I know in, uh, back in my, in my homeland. It's interesting that extreme forgiveness sets the stage for God's provision. Think about that. Maybe some of us are wondering why God isn't doing mighty things in our life and using us to impact others. Maybe there's a key that we see even in this section of Scripture. Maybe it needs to start with forgiveness. That's where it started, where then God could actually provide. Maybe God's waiting for us to forgive before He's using us. How has God provided in your life? We can recount the ways we had a time to do that last week, just remembering, just just think out ways after ways that He's been so faithful in our life. Here he provides a solution. We're going to see the story continue in the second half of verse 5. It says, So he went, Naaman it's referring to, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word for me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, and he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Let's think about this section here as we think about it as it relates to being a God of comfort. Naaman was basically using, basically what happened in those days was using a bartering system. He was using his position to secure his healing. Look what he does. He goes to the king. He's like, man, I, I, I need your support in this. The king writes this letter. Kind of, I'm sure it's got a nice stamp on it. Then he, he sends him with some cash. I was reading up on that. This would be equivalent. That amount of gold and silver would be equivalent to about $3.2 million. So it's not chump change. He's got 10 new clo- sets of clothing. It's kind of funny. You're like, $3.2 million? I think I could get a few sets of clothing. But clothing was a big deal. It would all be handmade at that time. It was a precious commodity of exchange that time. He was trying, basically, to barter with God. I'll bring you this if you do this for me. I was thinking about that as it relates to us. Isn't it really the same thing that we do still today? We think there's some kind of an exchange thing that we have with God. I'll bring you this. I'll do this for you. This will gain some points, and then you owe me this. Completely missing how God works. Here's the trick. God doesn't need to barter with us. He doesn't need anything from us. He's self-sufficient. Anything that he does is an act of his love. It's not something because of us appealing and trying to exchange something with him. Naaman needed to learn that. 
The king needed to learn something too. The king needed to learn to trust God. You see, it's kind of interesting the parallel of the servant girl that has complete trust in God to heal. The king, on the other hand, gets this letter. But in all fairness, think about the, the king's perspective. He's a smaller nation. This, this king from the, the massive mega power sending him a letter and saying, hey, here's a servant. I want you to heal him. He has this disease. You know the one that nobody gets healed from. Why don't you take care of that for me? You're like, what in the world? Are you kidding me? That's why he even says, he's just like, I can't do anything about this. He's just trying to, what? Pick a fight with me. He's looking for an excuse to come in with his sweet military and wipe out our area. And so he's panicking. He's in complete fear. And that's where it's cool to see God becomes the God of comfort. See, the truth is that it doesn't matter our name, our status, or our possessions Those things will never protect us from worry. Think about that for a second. It doesn't matter who we are. We're all vulnerable to worry. You see, when God isn't big enough in our minds, all of a sudden worry creeps in and sneaks in. It can take hold of us. I talk to so many people that it can become consuming in their life. I was listening to uh, Greg Laurie, who was telling the story. It made me laugh. He's telling the story of uh, two uh, two men that owned a business, and the business was getting really close to failing. It was just on its last, on its last leg. It was really struggling. They were saying, man, are we just going to have to claim bankruptcy? Are we going to have to bail out? What are we going to do? One of the partners comes back, and he says, listen, I hired somebody to help us. I hired somebody to help us worry. I hired a worrier. And, the, and, and, and the, guy, the business partner is just like, are you kidding me? What do you mean you're hiring somebody? What do you, we're, we're broke. We're about to go bankrupt. We're not going to make it. He's like, how are we going to pay this new employee? And the partner's like, I got it. I got it. I hired it. I don't have to worry about it. That's for him to worry about how he's going to get paid. And so, so anyway, just thinking about that, that story, every single one of us, if we're not careful, worry can sneak in when our God has gotten little too small. And we have allowed to put him into a box and say, I'm, I'm in a bartering system. Some of us think we're even bartering with him right now by sitting in this room. But the truth is, he's a God that doesn't play within those parameters. Elisha realizes that, and in his faith, he sends a, a message just to bail the king out. He's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I know the man upstairs that can solve this. I, I love the faith that that Elisha shows the king. It's kind of fascinating because the, the king you would expect to be the one with the most faith and clinging to God, but here it's a little man named Elisha living probably in a hut out in the outskirts of the kingdom. It's interesting how God, it's cool to think how God can use us to be a comfort to other, but you think about it, faith is what positions us to comfort others. Faith is what positions us to comfort others. I don't want somebody coming alongside, I don't know if you're like me, I don't want somebody coming alongside of me trying to comfort me, encouraging me, but they see God as this big. I need somebody with faith that believes that God can solve our problems, that has a track record to to recognize, look how he's taking care of this. Look how he's taking care of that. It's cool to think if our, our, as, our, as our faith amplifies, we have that potential to be a comfort and encouragement to others. If you don't have big faith, you can't be a comfort. So we see God uses him to be a comforter. It's fun to see how God chooses to involve us in the extensions of his character to his people. He 
He also shows that he has the power to heal. Verse 9, and guess where this story's headed. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and, and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? He had to speak some logic to him. You, you picture this scenario. The ultimate, the head of the militaries showing up. I imagine he's got his whole entourage showing up, rolling up on, I'm, I'm guessing, a gold-plated chariot, you know, with some, some expanded rim kit. You know, like, a, like he's showing up, he's, he's fully what, like exposing, like, I am this big shot leader. I expect you to do something for me. And I love how Elisha responds. What's he do? I, I have this picture. I don't know if you guys do this. I picture things in my head of what this was like. I'm picturing, I'm picturing Elisha in his little hut on his recliner. He's not even getting up. He's like, he's, he's, maybe he's got the remote in his hand. I don't know. He, he, he sends, uh, he sends uh, the servant, why don't you go tell him, Mr. Big Shot, to go, to go jump in a river, you know, and, uh, and li- literally that, that's what he does. He, he tells him to go jump in a river to get this solved. And what happens, the Naaman's like, are you kidding me? Eli- Elisha's not even going to come out and greet me. He's not even going to meet me. He's just going to send me to their dirty river here. And that, and that time, their, their, their river, the Jordan River, was kind of known for being kind of nasty. It was kind of the center of, uh, of everything that happened. It would have even been used for septic, I mean, for cleaning, for, I mean, not exactly. It was kind of like Westlake, you know, and so, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was... I was, actually, uh, I was actually on the, the, the lake with some friends that took us out to dinner, and he was telling me about how he dropped his keys in Westlake and had to swim down through the muck and get it. And so, yeah, kind of nasty. But here, King Naaman is saying, he's saying, he's like, I- I'm not going in there. I'm not going in that lake. I don't know what the issue was, whether it was more bent out of the fact that Elisha didn't greet him at the door, or maybe he's more bent on the idea of doing something that was going to expose maybe the extent of his leprosy if you're bathing if you're dipping in the river you're 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 exposed there's no more hiding maybe people had only seen his face they had no idea that that how the how the the disease had progressed we don't we don't know the extent of it either way he had expectations of how god was supposed to do things do you see that there in the text he had this picture in his mind he said, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand upon, and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the place and cure the leprosy. Like he needs, God needs to act in a way that's appropriate to how important I am. How often do we slip into that same type of thinking? We have this plan of how we think God's supposed to respond to us like we're some kind of a big shot, like he owes us something, like he owes us an explanation. What if God doesn't owe us an explanation for anything? 
We just need to obey and listen. Here we see he chooses to makes the right choice, not by his own doing. He gets, a, he gets the case made for him by somebody else that, uh, that listen, what if he's like, listen, you, the, his servants are coming to him. It's kind of fun. First servant girls, now again servants kind of re- coming to his rescue saying, listen, you need to do this. If you were told to like go fight a dragon or climb a mountain or, or go in a, a cave, like you would for sure do this. Why wouldn't you dip in the water? Like, are, you, are, are you crazy? And I was thinking about that as it relates to the gospel, how really that's the same thing that we're appealing with people. We're like, are you kidding me? Jesus has done all the work on the cross. Why wouldn't you embrace it? Like, why would, why, if you were told to be forgiven, you had to do this and this and this and this and this, you would do all those things. Why wouldn't you embrace what he's willing to do for you? Why wouldn't you bend your knee? Why wouldn't you get off your chariot? Why wouldn't you let some of the armor come off? Why, would, why wouldn't you? And that's here what the servants are coming to him. I want to propose that those servants had a little more at stake in this game. What, what did we learn about leprosy? Was leprosy something that was contained or was leprosy something that's contagious? I would propose that these servants themselves most likely were on a death sentence because they're along for the ride. How do you serve somebody every single day and not be in a vulnerable spot. So they had a lot at stake as to whether or not he got cleansed. So they're like, please, they're calling him father. They're like, please, father, uh, like, please do something here. Listen to what the guy's saying. Go get this thing solved. Take care of it. Bend a knee. Bend a knee. You would do it if it took a lot. Do it if, do the simple thing that's being asked of you. Thankfully, to credit Naaman, in his humility that, that he chooses to bend a knee. And I, I wonder if really his healing actually happened in that moment rather than in the river. When he finally bent his knee. When he was finally willing to submit to the God over him rather than his plan of doing, his way of solving. I would propose that the important thing that needed to get healed there his pride, his arrogance, all of that, bringing him to his knees, that happened before he ever even got in the river when he finally said, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll obey. Man, think about that in our own lives. Maybe it's not when our problems are are all fixed and solved. Maybe the healing needs to happen before that. When we finally submit, when we're like, all right, I admit it. I'm a sinner. I've got this leprosy thing. I can't do anything about it. I'm fallen. I'm broken. I need him to rescue me. That's when the healing actually happens. See verse 14 as it plays out. Forgiveness, if you will, in this picture. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Think about it. All of our successes, our facade of having it all together, we take the, finally remove the armor, our sin, our junk is exposed. That's when God can finally work. When we finally say, I I don't have it all solved. Finally, I imagine in that area, do you think word had gotten out that, he's, that, that that's happening? Do you imagine a, a crowd gathered around the, the river to see this, this big shot military leader dipping in there? And finally, the Naaman in his, at the end of his rope has said, I don't really care anymore. I don't care. I'm a, I, I can't fix this. 
I need to be cleaned. I need to be cleaned. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. That's the picture. It's a trust exercise. I imagine when he, when he took his armor off, there was a collective gasp. But it's a trust exercise. Dipped in there seven times. And then what happened to him? Was it a, a partial cleaning? Was he a little, did he feel a little bit better about himself? No, man, this was a, this was a clean start. This was, this was starting over fresh. I, I love the description there. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. We had this picture up last week of a, of a baby on here. I was thinking about this. You got this mighty man of valor, the commander of the largest military on the planet, and now he's got baby soft skin, you know? <laughs> Probably hard to keep up that macho image, right? You know, you're like, hey, just excuse the, the baby skin, you know? But, but here, he didn't care. He'd been restored. He'd, be, he had been made clean. He, he, what does Scripture say? Our sin that was once like scarlet is washed, what? White as snow. White as snow. It's an awesome, beautiful picture of the gospel. What's extended to each one of us here today. Finally, he's been cleansed. Verse 15, love us forever. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He goes on, as it's kind of a crazy story. The servant goes on to try to cash in on that $3.2 million, and, uh, and there, there's, you can read that later in the week. But the point that I wanted to bring out here was finally Naaman acknowledges God as God. Likely, Naaman didn't even start this search looking for God, right? He didn't start this search. He, he, was, he was just looking to get his problems solved, man. But in that, he met a loving God that cares about a Syrian general in the, in the ancient times before Christ. He cared about him. He came to know that God loves us forever. So often God uses suffering to bring us to the end of ourselves. We discover that God's end goal, listen to this, God's end goal isn't to provide a lovely, comfortable life for us. God's end goal is to bring us home to Him. That's God's end goal. It wasn't to solve His cancer or His leprosy thing. It wasn't to take care of that. It was to bring Him home. You, you see, that's what God's concern is. God, and if you think about it, isn't that the, that the most loving thing that it can do for us? Isn't that the ultimate extension? Is bring us to the point where we finally bend our knee, we finally acknowledge, you're it. You're the only one. You're the God. Because that's the love, that's the love that matters for eternity. When it's all said and done, when this all gets washed away, the only thing that matters. Yesterday we were at a memorial service here at the church for Gary Miller. And it's interesting because we, we talked about reminiscing about his life, but really... When it came down to it, the running theme that you heard in testimony after testimony, really the ultimate thing, the one thing that mattered in his life when it's all said and done, what did he do with that invitation of Jesus Christ saying, I've died on the cross here, I've, I've made the payment, what are you going to do with that offer? Gary, thankfully, had embraced that. That was the one thing that was, you know, was going to matter. That's the one extension of God's eternal love for us. So Naaman 
having thought he was like, cool, I got this baby skin. But, but really the thing that God was doing was like, I just want to bring you to know who I am, to come to that conclusion that I'm the one and only true God. You see, sometimes we don't come to realize that, don't come to experience the love that he has for us until we obey when it doesn't even make sense. Sometimes we are not exposed to different aspects of the character of God, to his greatness, to his provision, his comfort, his care, all of these things. We're not exposed to that until we step out and say, ah, this doesn't really make sense, but I'm going to do it anyway because he knows what's best. Some of us today have something that God's tugging on your heart. He's been bugging you for a long time to do it. He's been saying, all right, you need to do this. You need to just trust me. And you're not going to experience God to the degree that you could until you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to stay in this marriage that's crummy and be comfortable with just cohabitating with somebody. I'm going to actually work on it. I'm going to actually do my part. I'm going to actually serve him. I'm going to actually serve her. I'm going to love them unconditionally. I'm going to stick with the vow that we've made for a lifetime. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe it's related to an addiction that God's like, all right, you got to trust me. You've you got to give that up or it's going to wreck you. you got to give that up or it's going to wreck you. And finally, you need to say, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. Everybody else is doing it. That's whatever. But he's saying, are you going to obey? Are you going to trust me? And then you'll experience these different aspects of his character. Probably the most important one, I don't know who's in this room, that has never bent their knee and, and embraced Jesus' death as payment for their sin. But I would propose that maybe there's someone in here that got, God's done doing explanations for you. He's done trying to, trying to explain things. He, you know as much as you're going to know and now you're left with a decision, what are you going to do to respond? Are you going to say, yes, okay, I'll take it? Or are you going to go back? Naaman had a, some options there. He could have gone back. He could have said, I'm, I'm done with this. He could have gotten on his chariot, ridden back, and slowly died an inch at a time. He could have tried to look for other methods or ways to be healed. Or, thankfully, what he did choose, he said, nope, I'm going to actually listen and obey. It changes everything. That's how you get to see these different characteristics of our awesome, loving God. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for that statement, even at the beginning, that God has the power to, and we can fill in that blank with really anything, because there's nothing that's impossible with Jesus. We saw it on lots of t-shirts this week. I pray that we would embrace that ourselves that we wouldn't be like the king who cowered in fear because he had forgotten how big his God was, that we'd be the servant girl that clings to who you are, your character. Learn a lot from that servant girl today, God. I just pray that you'd stretch us in that, grow our, our faith so that we can even be a comfort to others. Stretch us, mold us, make us into your likeness, God. Love that picture, God, of this baby soft skin on this war-hardened warrior, beautiful picture of the gospel. We thank you for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Anybody else glad that we have a God that has five powers?
all of them underneath the umbrella of grace. Go in grace this day. God bless you.